Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and here is my co-host, Caroline Deason. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Caroline. Uh, start us off. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Caroline? Yeah, I've watched a movie every week. Or oh. every week I've, <laughs> since last week when we t- when you watched Holy Motors. When I watched a different movie, yeah, I've watched a movie every day this week. Actually, on holy Netflix. crap. Yeah. I remember, like, not six months ago, you telling me, like, hey, I'm not really a movie person. Yeah, that's 100% what I would have said six months ago. Exactly. Uh, I would have said that maybe, like, three months ago, that I'm not a movie person, even though I was on this podcast and <laughs> <laughs> and wrote for the vlog. Um, yeah, I have had a complete movie reawakening, which is fantastic, and it's really helping me be motivated to be on the podcast, definitely. But not only just movie reawakening, but kind of Netflix reawakening. Because I remember recently being like, oh, I never watch anything on Canadian Netflix, Dylan. You're always making me do things on Canadian Netflix, Dylan. But in the past week, I've watched four movies on Canadian Netflix. Sorry, I've watched more than four movies in the past week on Netflix. I've watched Trainspotting, Kill Your Darlings, Eastern Promises, White Men Can't Jump, Punch Drunk Love, and then today's movie, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Wow. Yeah. Weird. Well, convert. Well, and you <laughs> I'm also, definitely a convert. Yeah. You also discovered um, Netflix Party, right? That's Which true. Which you told me about, or yeah, well, yeah, you, you told me about it. Or did I tell you about it? I can't remember. I didn't know that specific app. I knew a different uh, service that would let you stream things simultaneously, like simulcast with other people. But this is a much better app. So if anybody else is interested in using Netflix, where you can watch it with other people remotely, you get this app for Chrome. Open up your Netflix. You send whoever you're watching with and you can you can have a whole party of people um and you send them the link it comes up on their screen so they don't have to have a netflix subscription or anything which is really cool really yeah so it all goes through the host's netflix subscription oh okay yeah because you don't even have to sign into netflix or anything and then there's a chat window in the side so everybody can talk while the movie's going if you're into that kind of thing um, um that's great though that you're having this this awakening and this kind of rediscovery of netflix yeah and it's actually really nice that you bring this up before this podcast in particular because part of the reason that it's been difficult for me to get well i don't even know if i want to say get back into movies because i i've never been as into movies as i am now um but i had a lot of trouble with people who i would you know you know you go see a movie and then afterwards your friends are like what do you think and for normal people they're like I thought X and your friends are like cool and you keep going and I had a couple people in my life who were not cool with anything that I said when it came to X and as you know Dylan that's what I do day to day as a literature student is point things out um, critically and just because I'm criticizing something doesn't mean I don't like it and a lot of people have a lot of trouble with that and I don't even want to say that I understand it because I don't understand it and i don't think it's a good quality to have (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah basically it's taken me a long time to be able to feel like i can safely voice my opinion about something that is really popular for other people when maybe that opinion is a little dissenting Um, and i've always felt super safe doing that on this podcast so i thank you for that oh you're very welcome yeah it's a it is strange that people have a hard time with that. That I, and you can even say like, "I loved this," but oh, yeah. um, like, oh well, like that, like Carolyn Pettit uh, gave uh, GTA Five a nine point five out of ten and received a whole bunch of death threats because right. she didn't give it ten out of ten. Right? Are you kidding me? Yeah, 
9.5. Politics are strange she was like, when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, she's like, this is a perfect game, except I didn't so much like when that torture scene happened for no reason. And then death threats as a result, because that, you know, that's a reasonable reaction. Anyway, yeah. yeah, so I'm really glad I have someone to watch with now who is super supportive of my opinion and who has actually said that he enjoys hearing my opinion even if he doesn't agree with it. He likes right. it. He likes it as hearing it as much as he does when I when he does agree with it. And that's re- revelatory for me specifically. So, Great. yeah, it's really fun. Right. Well, the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 2011. It's directed by David Fincher. We're going to be talking about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Before we get into that, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios. It's London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. Let's have a look at the ways that Netflix describes this movie. First, when you hover over it, it says, A brilliant but damaged hacker and an investigative journalist work an old case. Family secrets or unspeakable crimes? (laughs) Dun dun dun. I don't know if I would watch that movie. <laughs> no. You don't think you watch that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay, I'm sure this is going to come up later, but damaged is such a loaded, stupid word. I hate that. <laughs> so anyway. Just a going. fundamentally broken person? Right. Exactly. When you click on the movie, the description changes to when a young computer hacker is tasked with investigating a prying journalist, their separate missions become entangled amid a decades-old conspiracy. Yeah, that's the one that I read. Uh, I don't think I read it on Netflix, but... That's the that's the, the one that I read elsewhere, yeah. I would watch that movie. Yeah, that, that sounds way better. <laughs> the genres, according to Netflix, are dramas, crime dramas, dramas based on books, and dramas based on contemporary literature. That's very stupid. That that's a category? Yeah. And the moods Netflix ascribes are chilling, suspenseful, scary, and violent. Scary is a mood? All right, so Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is normally I like to ask why we chose this one, but actually, listeners, you voted for this one. This is the first time that we put, uh, well, actually the second time, but this is the first one since we've decided that, uh, you know, for Caroline and my discussions, we're probably going to be doing these on, you know, do a poll, let Twitter decide what people are going to... And that vote. poll was crazy. That poll was crazy. It was a tight race. Yeah, it was um, High Fidelity, Blue Ruin, and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right, and a couple of times when I would check, it would be equal like right down the line where mm-hmm. or one was leading but only because you know even though they were all tied you right, can't split like, things in thirds so right, it's exactly. like one got a one percent bump yeah but then yeah it actually came down to one vote a single vote for a girl with a dragon tattoo yeah that's nuts over the other ones yeah. so uh i guess thank you everybody for taking the time to vote and uh and for choosing this movie uh so i have i i've seen this movie before i saw it in theaters I certainly enjoyed it. Well, enjoyed is a strange word to use for this one, but I felt that watching it this time that it was it was better than I remembered it oh, being. Oh, really? That's yeah, good. it was a nice uh, a nice reminder because at first, uh, you know, when I was listening to people talk about like, are they going to do a sequel or they're not going to do the sequels? I was just kind of like, eh, whatever, I'll take it or leave it. But watching it this time, I'm flabbergasted that there hasn't been a second and third one made using this combination of creative people yeah i agree uh this was my first time seeing it um but i was also very surprised uh once once i finished it that this wasn't picked up immediately for um you know subsequent yearly sequels right afterwards Mm -hmm. yeah i think the the actual plans for this series are 
kind of strange even based on like because this movie was a financial success it despite opening in third place i believe it made far more than its money back um well, but, it won a bunch of awards too right yeah i mean it won uh at, at the least it won the the oscar for best editing yeah um so and acting it, it nominations all, for rooney mara yeah so it got all the um it got all the ex machina awards <laughs> no yeah well that too but i was gonna say that it got all the industry fellatio that it needed <laughs> um but yeah i guess the next movie that they're doing is kind of a like a reboot of the series with, right. with Stephen knight you know, is the, writing it yeah the the cast not returning new director and not even going back to stieg larsen's books they're going with the fourth right which is written, book, by, which his is written by somebody else yeah mm-hmm. i don't know anyway yeah and it's Stephen knight who's writing it who wrote eastern promises which i just watched and who mm-hmm. also wrote the netflix original series which isn't on canadian netflix peaky blinders so that's interesting now and i think you and i briefly talked about this before i actually watched girl with a dragon tattoo about how one thing that my biggest criticism of peaky blinders is that Stephen knight seems to only think that the the way that a woman is interesting is if she is damaged and that's that word that netflix describes right <laughs> elizabeth with as well um so right away i was kind of like well that's too bad because the two things that i've seen by him the way that women characters are written are is pretty appalling right. uh my letterboxd review for eastern promises is i use review very <laughs> loosely <laughs> my letterboxd reviews are mostly snark yeah mostly snark <laughs> And so I have a, a a pretend quote from Stephen Knight saying, I think this is what a woman sounds like. I, I saw one on a bus one day, and so I'm not entirely confident that he handles women characters well. And now having seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I have a whole different opinion on that. Well, it's not different. A whole a whole more nuanced opinion on, on my worry about that. So... I could pretend to beat around the bush for a while, but I, what I do want to ask you about is you had a, a pretty visceral reaction to watching this movie. I mean, generally, we don't talk about the movie beforehand because, you know, we use the phrase, save it for the podcast, save, it, right, for the save podcast. it for the podcast. But but uh, you you let me know pretty pretty soon after watching it how this I, movie I made was, you yeah, feel. I was texting you during during the the panic attack that I was having because of the scene because I couldn't conceptualize the idea of the conversation we had about practical magic where i was like wow wish i had known that that was coming in practical magic and that was one one hundredth of what happens in this movie right so uh in case people haven't checked out that episode caroline is talking about a scene in practical magic where um what what's his name it's oh a, what a, is his name it's good it's a shit name <laughs> <laughs> jimmy yeah it's like it's like J- jimmy like death witch or something like that <laughs> like... <laughs> angelov right yes yes where uh jimmy angelov whose actor uh yes who is in goren zvinjik is is that how you say his name no <laughs> that's gonna happen a lot in this movie i think okay vishnich you got it okay yes yeah you you better do the you better be the <laughs> computer guy which oddly enough, uh, the the actor who plays Jimmy in Practical Magic is uh, also in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, yeah. So I I love that. I love this, and, and I didn't realize that. I didn't know that it was him. I didn't recognize him. And when you pointed that out, I was like, "What the fuck?" Like this is like, it's as if he was there to be like, "Drama, <laughs> <laughs> be careful." Remember how you freaked out about my scene in Practical Magic? Get ready. 
which which would have been nice if I had picked up on that because nobody else thought to warn me about what was about to come. Okay, I, I was going to start by saying that um, my, my immediate reaction after my, what I'm calling a panic attack, was to... Sorry, we... So the the scene that Caroline is referring to is a scene in Practical Magic where oh, this yes, character, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, what appears to be the beginning of a sexual assault in the back of a car to yep. Nicole Kidman yep. or Nicole Kidman's character. Uh, as we talked about it in the podcast, Caroline, let me know like, hey, if something like this is going to happen, then I've totally forgot that you actually asked me to warn you. Oh, yes. God. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I asked a couple people and everyone forgot. Right. <laughs> Um, okay, so what I was going to say is that what I used to do before I kind of got back into movies is spoil movies for myself. And it's not not only just because I was looking for triggers, but also because uh, I don't believe in spoilers generally. I think that if, if a movie is worth its weight, it will be entertaining regardless of whether or not I know what the big reveal is. And clearly there are some movies that hinge entirely on the big reveal. And um, I'm not saying that I would like those to be spoiled, but I'm also saying that those probably aren't that great of stories. Narratively speaking, I think uh, a narrative can survive whether or not I know the name of the sled. You know what I mean? And so I used to go on... Spoilers for Underworld. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Um, So I used to go on IMDb and go to the parental guide. And the parental guide, if you've never looked at it before, is really well written because it's deliberately written in order to avoid spoilers. So it won't use character names. Um, and if there are spoilers that are unavoidable, it will hide them and you have to hover over it in order to read it. But it's a really good way to deal with if you have triggers, if you're worried about something, because you can anticipate it. And I'm not saying that everybody deals with triggers in the same way, but I'm the type of person that as long as I, I know that it's coming up, I can brace myself. And as a result, I'm, I am I can actually watch it objectively and thus impede my emotions from taking over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, and, I mean, and, that's what, and that's what a panic attack is, right? It's an overflow of emotions that you can't control. Right. So like I'm sitting there and I'm like, cool it. It's a movie. Not a big deal. Wish you had known it was coming up. But wow. Oh, it's going on for a long time. Hmm. Okay. Maybe not going to be able to hack it. Had to leave. Had to leave the room. I was on my laptop. You know, could have could open another window <laughs> could have closed that window whatever and i i left the room i went to the other side of my apartment i dry heaved a bunch you know what i mean like i this was a real emotional slash physical and that's that's the difference between a panic attack and and not is when it manifests physically right and um and i just wish i had known about this because i would have been able to look at the movie in a different way and there are people who don't need that at all and that's totally fine and then so i texted you I was talking to uh, a couple other people at the same time, and I was like, what the hell? And they were like, oh, yeah, I should have told you. And I'm like, yeah, remember when I like kind of made a big deal about this being a thing? Please do tell me. So I guess the caveat is that any of you people listening right now, if you vote for something on the poll and you're like, there's a whole lot of violent, terrible rape in it, maybe, you know, shoot me a DM on Twitter <laughs> and let me know that. Right, so um, just because we are going to talk about this topic in, in case anybody hasn't seen the movie and they're just listening because they're fans of us because how could you not be uh, what caroline is referring to specifically i assume because we haven't actually really gotten into too much detail about this is there are a couple of uh, i mean there's there's a common theme in this movie of uh sexual violence and rape and specifically the the one scene that really stands out and is honestly a thing that this movie's kind of known for is an aggressive anal rape that happens from 
a social worker to our female protagonist, Lisbeth Salander. So it is a very, it's an incredibly powerful scene, incredibly upsetting to watch and just really difficult to deal with, even for somebody who doesn't, uh, who typically doesn't look for, who doesn't feel triggered by it. It's impossible to not be affected by it. Well, and that's the thing too is, um, so that's all I would have needed, right? For for a trigger warning is to be right. like, hey, there's there's a, a a really brutal rape scene, and um, and and it's the the most important thing about this rape scene. I was telling a friend of mine today who hasn't seen the movie that this is not a scene where, um, you know, someone is attacked in an alley and most of everything is implied. This is a scene where this is you know, like borderline pornographic. What happens? Um, there's no uh visual escape do you know what i mean like it's well, yeah, everything but, everything is on the screen but that's that's the uh there's a very specific thing that happens in that scene that refuses like it it teases that it is going to cut away and that's as the camera is moving away from the door as if it's like there's this horrible thing happening here and the camera is actually backing away as if it's like okay now we need to distance ourselves from this because like, you know what's happening, but I'm not going to show it to you. And then you're back in the room right. watching everything happen. So yeah, it's it, there's a very conscious decision to say, like, normally we would just let this be implied. Yep. But we want it's almost in a like Passion of the Christ kind of way where it's like, no, you need to feel this. You need to understand exactly what the experience that this person is going through is. Yeah. And I, I totally get that. And so I we haven't talked about this yet, but I have a lot of respect for David Fincher. I really like him as a director and as a person. He's uh, just a really smart individual. And another another kind of caveat here to this entire podcast is probably that um, be- because of the reaction that I had to this movie, there are a lot of things that I don't remember as well as I would have if I had been watching it, you know, and been calm about it. So I actually don't remember that uh, look at the door and and uh, tease for some sort of reprieve. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And that that totally sounds like a, a Fincher type of move to me. And yeah, and I mean, I have I have more to say about that scene when it comes to kind of the movie as a whole. And I I think what what really disturbed me most about it. There's a lot of things that really disturbed me about that movie that I think are thematically present over the whole movie. And I think that's obviously on purpose. But I guess what I'm trying to say about Fincher is that I have not read this book, uh, the actual source material for this book, and I haven't seen the the Swedish version either. Now, I've seen three other Fincher movies, Seven, Zodiac, and Fight Club. And Fight Club is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I really like the other two as well. After I saw Fight Club, I read the book, Fight Club. Have you read Fight Club? No. Okay, it's so, on my shelf, but I haven't read it. Right, one of those. Yeah. I'm a poser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I love Fight Club, and I went out and got the book, and I read it, and I prefer the movie to the book. Right. The thing that the thing that really stuck out to me as being way better in the movie than the book was the character of Marla, who is one of my favorite characters of all time. Uh, you know, movie, book, and food. <laughs> She's just one of the best characters I've ever met. <laughs> Fried green tomatoes. Fried green tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and so in in the book Fight Club uh you know we're, we're it's it's written by the from the perspective of the narrator and the narrator in the book is a dick and talks about marla in the most dismissive misogynist ways which having seen the movie might come as a surprise because marla is actually a really cool character one of the reasons marla is a cool character is that 
we actually get a depth and a nuance to her independent of her interaction with the narrator and Tyler Durden. We understand who she is as a person before she even meets these two characters. She's not made interesting because of her interactions with them. Mm -hmm. She's not made interesting through anything that happens to her. She's made interesting because she is interesting. And and she's just, you know, smart and funny as well. In the book, she doesn't get any of that, which is really unfortunate. And so I've chalked all of that up to Fincher. Uh, I, I think that he did the, the movie a great service in making Marla such a cool character. And I don't know what to do with Lisbeth Salander. I've not read the book. I read a little bit on the way over here, some like Sparknotes chapter summaries that seem to imply that the book gives Lisbeth a lot more speaking parts than the movie does. And that's my biggest criticism of the movie is that I have no idea who this girl is. Everything I know about her is because of her interactions with other people and they're always, you know, she's being used for something. And I don't know what to think about that yet. So I'm hoping that we're over the course of this conversation we will we will suss that out a bit. And where that comes to a head most and you said this before the po podcast that I must have been like Fincher why you do me like this like you really you broke my heart man <laughs> so maybe over the course of this conversation I can understand why I had to sit through that and you, you made some interesting points where you were saying you're gonna look like you're gonna have to see what's going on here my problem with that is that at the same time that this rape is horrific and visceral like you said and um, graphic. It's not, like I said, an attack in an alley. The premeditation of how this rape is set up is different to me. This is set up like a BDSM scene, and that hits me where I live, because for our website, my first post on our website was BDSM in the Adams Family. Quite a different perspective on on the entire issue. Right. Um, so that that was like another level of triggering for me because I was like, okay, this is something that looks very similar to a lot of consensual stuff that I'm very vocally supportive of. And yet it's done specifically to, to make me feel horrible. And that reaction, I think, is what really made this as as viscerally disturbing as, as it was for me. Sure. And I think that the, the BDSM parts of it are meant to really add to the horror of what's happening because for Pureman, the attacker, is somebody who is, you know, every read that we get on this guy is that he's put into a position of power where he's been able to get away with this kind of thing for a long time and it's been escalating. And, and I agree because, especially because when she comes the third time and he says, I'm I'm sorry about how we left it last time. I I think it has been escalating. This is the this is the this is the peak. Like it's very normalized for him to be abusive to people who are under his care. Yeah. Like his first instinct when Elizabeth comes to him in the first place to ask for an advance on her allowance is to say, "Okay, well, let's figure something out." And his move is to get the person to perform fellatio on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it comes so naturally to him at this point that there's just no other question of how this system works. Well, no, I mean, I don't even think that's a question of it being normalized. I just think that that's how an attacker operates. Um, so then when it comes to the rape scene, the, the first one, that, you know, f for him, part of the character that he's playing is that this seems like he he's 
behaving at the beginning as if this is something consensual. Can I, t- can I tell you what I think about that specifically? Okay. So rape is not about sex. Rape right. is about power. Yes. Okay. And, and you're totally correct that he is in a position of financial power. This is a, a relationship that has a power imbalance f- from the outset. Um, that's the that's the specific nature of the relationship, and so he uses that power to ab- abuse, or he sorry he abuses that power, and that manifests itself sexually in rape. And when you say that this is the first rape, it's actually the second. When he forces her to perform fellatio, that's the first rape. Sorry, yes, yeah. So my I'm not even going to say theory, because first of all, uh, it's not. But also, <laughs> I'm this is coming from a, an extremely personal space right now. So if people listening to this don't know what I look like, uh, first of all, you should be following me on Twitter. So you, that that shouldn't be the case. You should definitely know what I look like. But I wear all black exclusively. I have 14 piercings. Two of them are in my face. Three of them, if you count my tongue. I don't have as weird of a haircut as Lisbeth, but my hair is very noticeable because it's three feet long and black and purple. And every day, something happens to remind me that... The way that I choose to dress attracts a specific type of gaze. And that's the case for most people who are read as women. But when it comes to people who are read as women who are also quote-unquote goth, whatever you want to call it, there is always, I'm going to say 100% of the time, because it's been my experience, there is al- there's always a read that if I dress this way, I must be sexually promiscuous. I must be into kink. I must be looking for this type of like thrill-seeking BDSM thing. And it's unfortunate that that is true for me when it comes to what I'm interested in anyway. You know, I've written a bunch of stuff about BDSM under my name and under my pseudonym online. Um, This is a well-known fact about me. The problem is that not everyone who looks like me, not everyone who looks like Lisbeth, is interested in that. Mm -hmm. And from the very beginning, from their first conversation, he tries to imply that she must be sexually promiscuous. And I, I I think that that's directly related to not just his predilection for overpowering women, but also directly related to how she looks. The yeah, characterization a- of this of this character is so, like, she's so visually different that there would be no way that that wouldn't be the, the case. Well, and he even says in their first meeting as he's sitting down with her, yeah. One of the first things he ever says to her is, do you think you look attractive with that thing sticking out of your face? Referring to yeah. her eyebrow piercing. That happens to me like once a week. Right. So like, I, I understand why why the character looks like that. Uh, if, if you want this kind of narrative of she's inviting it. And I, sorry, when I say narrative, I don't mean the narrative for the whole movie. I say f- for this character, for Bierman. Right. Bierman assumes that she's inviting it. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, he doesn't think of it as rape. I understand what you're saying in that you think that she, well, I'm, I'm putting words into your mouth now, but is it because you think that he thinks that she actually wants this to a degree? No, I think that that might be what he kind of tells himself. I just mean for him, th- he's gotten to the point that this is what, this is his only sexual release for him. The power and the rape right. and the and that's it's, why it's, rape... it's all so grossly mingled together yeah. that it's it's impossible for him not to sound not to try to sound sympathetic to him but i mean just to understand where he's coming from like 
Well, that's for, that's for, why rape is about power, not sex. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. So for him, I, I think that restraint began as a way of you know stopping somebody from escape. Or like it's it's about stopping from stopping her from escaping. It's not about you know creating a safe space and exploring sexual desires and things like that. Like it's only the aggressive part. But for him, that is what sex is now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with that completely. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that as a viewer. Um, and, and specifically as a viewer who can relate to Elizabeth on that level, and also as a viewer who happens to be into kink, um, all of that is, makes it way more fucked up. Like that's, that, that was, that was way worse. When she gets to leave, he says, uh, I'll show you or I'll teach you how to behave. Right? No, he offers, I don't think so. No. Doesn't he? No, when, no, he offers to give her a ride home. Yeah. And then he she leaves and he just kind of like quietly he has this moment of shame or not shame or at least disappointment there's nothing okay yeah so it's in the book after the ordeal he releases her gives her a check and again reminds her that he will teach her how to behave right and that's not that's not in the movie he like all he is is he's just wearing a bathrobe looking like he's just jerked okay, off so into this, a sink somewhere this like... is part of the part that i've blanked from my memory obviously <laughs> I right and, i bet and... you're all really excited to hear a podcast from a person who can't fucking remember the movie <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, and that's where for him like the rape is sex because he's looking like somebody who's just kind of had a one night stand and kind of regrets it that's that's the visual read on him he's wearing this bathrobe he's not He's not acting like somebody who's just attacked somebody and feeling bad about it. He's acting like somebody who's just had a mildly disappointing experience. And he treats her like he would somebody who, you know, like, I'd kind of like you to leave, but I feel like I should do the right thing and, and offer to give you a ride home. Right. I don't I don't think that we I, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I really I really think we should be caution cautious about separating that type of behavior from separating what the capital R rapist behavior might be, because the large majority of rape is committed by people who know each other and people who might even be in a relationship, right? right. And that would be how it would end. Right. And, that what and I, that's what I mean is that this isn't an alleyway, random stranger, guy in a balaclava, right? Like this is way more upsetting because of all of that. Right, exactly. And that's and that's what is, that is what's so upsetting. That's what's so so troubling and so grotesque about all of this is that it's all within this this system that's meant to create safety and support for people who otherwise wouldn't have it like she's a ward of the state and her warden is the one who's doing these things to her you know the the one person she's supposed to be able to turn to who she has reluctance to even talk to in the first place because she does have that one guy who she did finally have a positive experience with and a positive relationship with and just by by happenstance he has a stroke or has some kind of medical crisis so then she's thrown back to the wolves of whatever social systems are in place where she she knows from being in the system for as long as she has since she was 12 the predatory nature of the people who can work in those spaces and the vulnerability of being a part of that and i mean the reason she ended up in there it's implied but never explicitly said yeah. is you know from what we know of elizabeth she's not the kind of person who would just randomly set her father on fire yeah I mean, my read on that was that he was doing these yeah, kinds of, of things to her. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the 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 read. Right. So this happened to her. She ended up being victimized by her parents or by a parent. You know, the the person who's most supposed to provide love and trust gets sent into the system where she's been meeting these kinds of people all along. Finally, gets a reprieve, and then, like I said, gets thrown back into this 
continuation of this really awful And that's my problem with Lisbeth as a character, as how she's characterized, that she is a victim from the beginning. And I have a real problem with the defining characteristics of women being victimization in order to get revenge, in order to become a heroine. Right. Um, And the damaged part from that Netflix description is exactly what is going on here. And her, like, cool look is the, the trope of the, like, cool girl. She's cool but damaged, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's impossible for her to have anything to her character except for what her reactions are to the terrible things that have happened in her life. And I really don't like that in in women characters. What I felt were her best moments and the the moments where I was most cheering for her were the moments where she wasn't fitting into what people were expecting her to be. There were characters who were treating her like she was damaged, like the warden, for instance, and yeah. wanted to prey on that that damaged good and, you know, yeah. fit them into a certain narrative. But then we had other people like her boss, Goran, however you pronounce it, or or Mikhail later, who they're not immediately pigeonholing her. They're not looking for her to be a damaged person. They're just kind of like, okay, show me your skills. Show me what you can do. You know, I, I want to talk to you because of your because of your intellect and your capability first. So what I'm saying is that the the mere existence of her character mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie, especially at the end of the movie when you know that she's been a victim since she was 12 years old, is completely undermined in any sort of what we want to call quote-unquote strong female character okay because she's a victim okay and so right, so she's only strong because she's been victimized exactly because she's had to overcome that exactly right and so the problem here is that to play devil's advocate against myself the, ca- <laughs> the counterpoint that people come up with are okay but you know men characters are also damaged and that's that's true like batman batman is a damaged character right and the thing is that batman has trauma that he's trying to get over uh, and that he he decides to channel his life into helping others because he saw his parents get murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make sure that that doesn't happen to other people. So Batman is a good example of a trauma that has happened and he has been damaged and he's a victim from the beginning. So just put a pin on that for a second. There are very few instances in pop culture and in high culture of men becoming heroes only because they're victims most of the time when a revenge plot happens the man has had a chance to be a full fleshed out character beforehand before the before the trauma happens so that that sends him on his revenge quest or even a hero before that trauma happens very rarely very rarely does that happen with women characters and that's where we get this whole is she a strong female character a strong female character by definition cannot be reacting she has to be acting And that's my problem with this. So my other problem and the the victimization, so the the pin that I've put in Batman, (laughs) his trauma was seeing his parents get killed. And obviously that's horrible. I am of the opinion that rape is the the worst thing that can happen to someone uh, regardless of gender. Okay? And I am of that opinion for many different reasons. And that is an opinion that I have only come to in the past couple of years. So I always think about 
have you read the play Titus Andronicus by Shakespeare? Okay, so long story short, it's that episode of uh, South Park, Scott Timmerman Must Die, <laughs> where uh, uh, Cartman, to get uh, revenge on Scott Timmerman, cooks his parents and feeds them to him, okay? So that's a take on it. And it's a really great adaptation as far as um, South Park Shakespearean adaptations go. <laughs> but the actual story to Titus Andronicus involves two tribes of people. The one tribe captures the other. And what they do with these their captives is they kill the two boys and they enslave the mother. Okay, so she becomes like a sexual slave for their tribe. And the mother hatches this plan to get revenge. And one of the things she does to get revenge is she has her like remaining sons whoever they are go and capture the daughter of the tribe and they rape her and then they cut off her hands and they cut off her tongue out her tongue and that's symbolic because now she has absolutely no way of being an agent anymore she cannot speak she can't even name her accusers because she can't talk and she is crippled she will never be able to use her hands again the literal definition for agency right and when I was studying that play in fourth year, I had a debate with someone about how the punishment that Lavinia got, which was being raped and then disfigured, was not nearly as bad as the mother who lost her child. That was the, that was the stance I took. Thinking about that now, I sound crazy. My, my point was that Lavinia got to live. And my friend's point was Lavinia has to live. She lives with this trauma. So this is why... In a nutshell, that's why, to me, rape is the worst possible thing that can happen. And something that happens comes up again and again when rape is used in movies and TV shows. It, it, this happens a lot in Game of Thrones, which I don't watch, but I hear a lot about the, the use of rape in Game of Thrones, is people try to talk about how it's justified, you know, for whatever reason, because it helps the characters get to a place where they need to be in order to become the person that they need to be. And that's where they try to justify it without any gendering of it. Just saying that, well, this is the same as Batman losing his parents. This is what had to happen to this woman in order for her to become the strong person to take revenge. And I call foul on that because you don't have to be a woman to be raped. This movie proves that. And if as many men in our culture, or in our, sorry, in our pop culture, got raped in movies and stuff like that then maybe i would understand that but this is it's always a very gendered thing and the rape in this book and movie is a symptom of a misogynistic outlook elizabeth knows that this is this exists that's the whole plot to her trying to find the killer but my my problem with it is i don't know how well the movie executes that because i see her only as a victim reacting to this rape story being the thing that propels her forward into becoming the trope of the cool hacker girl. I guess I saw her because she's she's just so cool and so... Why do you think she's cool? I mean, she's very competent. She's skilled. She knows how to take care of herself. She's resourceful at, nav at doing her best to navigate through this really broken, gross system. And she understands her value and i, I kind of see her more as not being a product of rape but seeing her as somebody who was inevitable but whose life has been the things that have happened to her have pushed her down she has the same forward trajectory but it just gets 
misguided sometimes and redirected because of the things that have happened to her. I don't see her as her identity isn't just in being a victim. Now, in terms of the big picture, like her narrative, I absolutely think that everything is in response to rape and trying to either prevent it from happening to other people, uh, prevent it from happening to her again, punishing people who commit it. Definitely. I, I absolutely see it that way. But there are other things that she does that have nothing to do with that. Like at the end when she just wants to do a nice thing for Mikhail and, you know, she goes off and does this whole super spy thing with her disguise where she's just trying to give him the gift of taking down this guy who, who took him down a peg. And Yeah, but that's in service for a man. She, the only other thing that she decides to do is to help this man who does not care about her at all. And who, I mean, in, other than that, you know, he doesn't want her to die she falls in love with this guy who does not care about her at all and and if anything i think that that proves my point even more that all she does in the movie is react and and she cannot be happy independently she's got a dependence issue obviously right and all of that i think and and everything that makes her cool i'm just saying that i don't think that any of that would exist if the character had had a normal childhood and why don't women get normal childhoods right like why why do cool characters why do cool badass women characters always have to have some fucked up thing about them especially because the last two podcasts that have well not holy motors <laughs> but the one, ones before please that please tell me how much this is like holy motors yeah. no um the last two podcasts that i was on before that there were some what i what i would call strong female characters where on ex machina ava is someone who I would say is a strong female character with the caveat that I don't actually really like that term strong female character because I also don't think that a, a good female character has to necessarily be strong either, right? Um, and that's what's interesting about Ava, I think, is that we, we, we get to know her, we get to understand her and how she thinks and what she desires and um, that certain things are, you know, going on for this character that she has, has made a calculated plan going forward. And though it is sort of in order to uh, preserve herself, selfhood, and to save herself, at the end of the movie, she gets this triumphant badass thing. So any problems that she had going through, any victimization that she had going through, I can forgive um, because she turns out into this cool, strong female character. Same thing happens in her, where any uh, victimization that um, Samantha might be doing, this is my the, the second podcast that I'm talking about, um, any victimization that Samantha, sorry, might be receiving from Theo is is something that she overcomes at the end by making independent choices for herself. Lisbeth gets screwed at every single possible turn in this movie. The only time that I see, the only time that I thought, hey, maybe something good will come of this, is when she meets that girl at the bar and goes home and they seem to have a lovely time. And then, <laughs> and then some asshole man has to come in and, and like, you know, metaphorically rape her again by barging into her house and forcing her to listen to what he has to say. Right. Like, I mean, the metaphor is obvious there, and men are always forcing themselves onto Elizabeth for something. She has this connection with this woman that actually seems kind of healthy. To the, and, and one of my favorite parts about that part is that we don't see them have sex, right? Unless I block that from my mind. We don't. Okay. We see them wake up in bed. It seems like they've both had uh, an enjoyable time that, um, you know, was consensual. And the fact that we don't see it happen is probably telling in that respect. And that's the only time that she's, I think, happy and it gets robbed by a man out of her hands again. And she she ends up worse at the end than she even is in the beginning after she gets her great revenge on her attacker. And that sucks. 
I, I really, really hate the disservice that this character has done throughout the whole movie. And there's like, I don't know, like, go ahead and try and convince me. <laughs> that, okay, so that b- she... before, the, before the end, the whole thing with the jacket, did you like the relationship that no that they had together no it was awful why well because it was a uh, an employer employee relationship and that's necessarily has a power dynamic that will not ever work for the employee who is the woman and it usually is the woman because the power dynamic is off completely i don't understand what because she has an emotional connection to him she's not She's not just physically attracted to him. And the reason that we know that she has an emotional connection is because of that jacket at the mm-hmm. end. And because she says heartbreakingly when she goes back to visit her old... Her old warden. Warden. Yeah. That I've, I've made a friend. And as if, you know, like, now you don't have to worry about me as much because I've done the one thing that I haven't been able to do my entire life. Mm-hmm. Right? And he does not see that relationship that way at all. And that's most telling the last time that they have sex. And he is not into it at all. And she is into it and gets off and literally gets off and then gets off or sorry figuratively and then literally gets off um and then he just starts talking about the thing that he wanted to talk about that he tried to interrupt the the actual sex with right Mm. and then at the end when uh you know she's she tries to go and give him that gift and sees that she's been slighted again and leaves and she has to drive off like that like Man, what a horrible way for it to end. Which is also another reason why I was like, I'm really sad that, I don't know, I don't know if hopefully maybe at some point in the next two books she gets some sort of happiness for longer than 12 seconds. Mm -hmm. But a huge bummer that the other two weren't made, or other three, however many there are, weren't made by, you know, this ensemble, like you said, Mm -hmm. because I wanted some sort of happiness for her. Yeah, maybe just knowing that there were sequels, I felt a little better about it because I knew that the two characters kind of come back later. Because, but that, but she's did, still so hurt though, right? It, but it didn't feel like the ending for me. I, I guess two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's not the. It, it didn't seem like it was the end of their story because I felt like, well, of course they're going to come back together. They're such a great team working together, and they're going to continue to figure out what their relationship is going to be. Because I liked the. I get that, but it, I, it took me a while to realize that she was emotionally connected because it seemed like, hey, this is cool. Like you're somebody who just like you're attracted to this man. You just want to have sex with him. And she does. And then they kind of have a little bit of tenderness where where she says, no, 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 put your hand back under my shirt. Just and just because they're, they're finding comfort in each other in this really stressful relationship. And it, this is also me just not seeing things the same way you are and being aware of kind of the power dynamics that were there, but just kind of feeling like they were even saying this. I know I'm going to sound stupid but I'm going to say it anyway. It was like two adults having a mature sexual relationship where they were just doing what they wanted to do. And it was her being treated as somebody who was free to make her own choices. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what you say, what you're saying, because, and especially because when we contrast this to the the, the rape scenes, this is finally Lisbeth getting what, what she wants with her body, right? Like, right. And, and um, that's a theme in, in the in the book too is is Lisbeth's body the the book is or sorry the movie is called girl with the dragon tattoo it's not called you know really cool hacker does cool stuff (laughs) (laughs) for obvious reasons it's also not called like Nancy Drew and the clue crew solve 40 year old and the case of the 40 year old murder or anything you know what I mean like it's nothing it's nothing about the cool things that she does it's about something that's on her body and after she after the second rape when she goes and gets the tattoo as kind of a way of i'm reading this as a way of reclaiming her body right like 
you know, writing on her own body as a way of being like, no, uh, even though this was violated, even though this this thing closest to me is violated, I'm reclaiming this. Did you? So, I, I assume that you're saying that because of this, but did you see where she's getting the tattoo? On on her ankle, isn't it? Yeah, but do you know, like, did you see why that's where she was getting it? Because it's where the, one of that's the, where the cuffs bruises. were. Right, that's where the bruises were. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, she could get it anywhere and it would still have the same effect, but. Right, but I mean, like, that was, that was a really powerful idea that she had to like you know this immediate source of trauma i am immediately i'm immediately claiming this body this part of my body back and right i am not going to look at these bruises and be reminded of what you did to me i'm going to be reminded of what i chose to do to my body yeah exactly and and it, along that as way as naive as that kind of is because she's just going to look at them and be like hey remember that time i got that tattoo to cover up my bruises right but that's that's kind of what trauma is that that's the only way to deal with trauma okay so the the only way to deal with trauma is by naming it and uh, claiming testimony to it as being your own. Because the whole the whole definition of trauma is something that has happened to you, okay? And so the only way that you can deal with trauma is by making it yours again. And so even marking yourself in a, something that reminds you of trauma at least names it, gives it testimony, like I said. And so that makes it so that now you have some sort of control. And I mean that's that's what Lisbeth that's why Lisbeth's a hacker, because she wants control. It's not a, a a coincidence that she goes into people's most private things, right? Like this is this is a, a metaphorical rape as well, where she is infiltrating people's most private things and taking them and doing whatever she wants with them. So this is this is her enacting the same things that are enacted upon her and. Yeah, I can understand why you think that the relationship between them is a healthier one, and it is. I'm not clearly he's not a rapist. Uh, I do think he's taking advantage of her. I do think that it is a um, power dynamic that is necessarily means that he can take advantage of her, and the fact that he is completely checked out of this thing emotionally, never checks into it emotionally, and she clearly has some sort of emotion emotional tie to him. You know, any comfort that she got from it, based on how it ends, would be just as traumatic as you know looking at a tattoo and remembering that's that's why i got this tattoo so it's completely undermined in my in my thought and i was so sad to see that that how it en- that's how it ended granted i did not want them to end up together i actually didn't want her to fall in love with anybody i wanted her to be i wanted her to have a cool sexual relationship if she wanted and then to just be happy for a second and be independent and to not have her heart broken uh, at all I think part of the difference and is... Sorry, can I just uh, yeah. ask you really quickly? Are you certain that they end up together in like the the later... Oh, I have no idea. No, I just oh, mean okay. like I imagine they work together and that they start to figure out what it is that they should be doing with each other. Okay, because my like hope for Elizabeth is that even if that she gets over this crush she has on him and has something way better in the future that I don't, I don't want her to get with this guy ever because, I mean, you know, like that part where, where they're having sex and he literally interrupts to ask her and she's like okay just wait hold on a minute you you have to admit that he's not as into this as she is right well i I could also just be that he's you know had this spontaneous thought and it's just they they have casual sex with each other you don't have casual you don't have sex that casual when it's like the (laughs) third time you've had sex okay like (laughs) i also watching this the second time uh because i remember actually watching this in the the theater and thinking that uh mikhail goes off with his daughter at the end when i when i realized it was uh his creative partner you know his his co-editor 
that I kind of believe, and I might just be being naive. I'll totally admit this, but part of me thinks that 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 it is that mature relationship that they have with each other, where it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I am shaking my head already. I'm shaking your head. <laughs> where she is being genuine when she talks to her old warden and says like I've made a friend and that because she has somebody who she's willing to invest herself in a bit emotionally or quite a bit emotionally like that's there's no question that she cares about this guy you know gets him an expensive jacket and things like that the feeling that she has at the end I didn't necessarily see that as her heart being broken because it I think it's also possible that Mikhail says I'm going to be going to spend this time with my daughter and then when Elizabeth goes to deliver the jacket she sees that he's actually with his creative partner and that he's lied to her about where he was right because like, yeah but why wouldn't that break her heart well why, I don't think it has to necessarily being... break her heart emotionally I think it might just be like he's betrayed her trust because he lied to her and therefore he's not deserving of this thoughtful gift that she gave okay. to him rather than I don't, a crush I don't see okay because that, that stuck out to me when he was like i'm gonna spend this time with my daughter and then i i saw them together just because he's i that that doesn't necessarily mean he's lying like the daughter is an adult he's not going to spend every waking moment with her you know what i mean i don't think elizabeth interpreted that as oh you lied to me why aren't you why are you with someone else you should be with the daughter right but elizabeth thought that they had a connection that you know, would 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 keep going. Right. And if it was this mature relationship that you're talking about that is just casual sex, mm -hmm. she would not have thrown the jacket out. She would have been able to hang on to it and give it to him as a friend. Because they have just been through something where you can totally buy your friend who you've just fucking, you know, saved from horrible serial murder a jacket and mm -hmm. be like, hey, I just got all this money. We are friends. Throwing that jacket out means that there is an emotional, there's a heartbreak there. Right, and I just, I just didn't necessarily see it as her being disappointed romantically, just kind of disappointed that once again somebody was betraying her trust. Well, I think, I think she is disappointed in having her trust betrayed, but the trust that's being betrayed is that they just pretended like they were in a relationship for a couple of weeks. Right, and clearly there has not been a communication there where he's been like, by the way. I have, um, you know, you're my side piece while this is going on. But when I get back, uh, I've got, I've got something on on the go, right? Who yeah. she's married too, right? Like she's cheating yeah. on her husband with him. Yeah. So they cheated on each other with each other. Right. But her she's marriage still survived. Married. His did not. Yeah. Was, was how she describes it. And the fact that Elizabeth knows that the first thing that we see Elizabeth do is to investigate this guy, and she knows what he's like in sexual relationships to the point that she gives him feedback play by yeah feedback on <laughs> valuable feedback on his on his willingness to perform oral sex so i can't imagine her being like she knows better right like in her head she would know better but you know if she is invested not, emotionally yeah then, like you you can't you can't convince yourself out of feelings for someone right like if you could then she would she would be the best hacker in the world right like that's right. no it I, I totally, totally re read that as her being disappointed. I think I just want this to be easier for her, you know? I'd rather her be, I, I I'd agree. Rather her be mad at a friend than have her heart broken by I, this guy and I not agree be able to put completely. it back together. I agree completely that I wish this was easier for her. But instead of lying to yourself, I think we should be angry <laughs> and questioning the movie. <laughs> right. And this is, and this is where my, 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 my really conflicting feelings about Fincher come into play. Because everything about this movie that I loved is also 
something that I chalk up to Fincher and talk chalk up to everything that I love about his filmmaking. And I want so badly to blame everything that I don't like about this movie on Stieg Larsson and not on Fincher. And I want so badly to think that, hey, if you read the book, you would actually see that Fincher improved it just like he improved Fight Club, right? right. And I don't know. And, you know, people listening to this who have read the book might tell me the exact opposite is true screaming at their headphones right i now. know yeah, yeah they totally are they're writing writing me angry letters so that's 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 where i'm really conflicted about this this movie because that sucks i really 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 hate how her character is treated i really hate everything that happens with her and uh and then there's all these other things that i really like about the movie and interestingly enough i, I was thinking about this yesterday except for holy motors every podcast that i've done with you i have spoken almost exclusively to the narrative of movies rather than to the actual filmmaking. Uh, mostly because I kind of hate that term filmmaking in general. I sound really pretentious when I say it. But everything that I like about this movie, well, there's there's uh, some things narratively that I like about this movie, but 98% of what I like about this movie comes down to the filmmaking. I, I find that I just recently wrote something on the blog about The Master by P.T. Anderson and after I watched that movie, you and I had a conversation about how I find that P.T. Anderson, I just wrote, or I just watched another of his movies, Punch Drunk Love. One of my criticism about P.T. Anderson is that there seems to be too much time spent in some scenes that I think can be really cut down. And I, I see this as a storyboarding problem where he possibly thinks that there's, you know, we need to see all of this when really we actually don't. Um, my friend Adam, who was on this podcast last week with Holy Motors, uh, I we were, talked about this bad movie night that we do, um, where we always watch a bad movie and then a good movie, and Holy Motors was the good movie, believe it or not, um, of our bad movie, good movie <laughs> night. But something that we've seen that happens over and over again in these bad movies is that directors do not understand how short uh, shots can be, <laughs> right. right? Like, shots are always way too long in bad movies. And... If you remember high school projects or elementary school projects where you had to make a video, if you could like go back and look at that, you would see the same thing. Like we do not have a good concept of how long a shot needs to be. And I'm not saying that P.T. Anderson is as bad as a high school uh, presentation would be. Clearly not. I have a lot of really great things to say about The Master and I have a lot of really great things to say about Punch Drunk Love too. Punch Drunk Love did not have that problem nearly as much, partly because it was only 90 minutes long versus 400 minutes long like all his other movies but all of that is me trying to get at the fact that this is the first Fincher movie first new Fincher movie new to me that I've watched in a really long time and I could not believe how shockingly fast-paced the shots are these this two hour and 40 minute movie yeah two hour and 40 minute goes back by in a blink and you have no time to catch your breath. And I'm not even just saying because I was literally, you know, skip heart skipping beats because of trauma. <laughs> you have no time to catch your breath in between shots. You have no time to, to catch your breath in between uh, scenes. Everything that is in every single shot in this movie is on purpose. And it's also useful. Um, and that that's just kind of a, a Fincher hallmark too, is like the, the Chekhov's gun. You know, if you can see something in a scene, the mise-en-scene is all on purpose if you see something in a scene it's going to be used or it's important or you know if you if you took the time you'd go and find out that it's something that adds to your experience there's a real economy to all of his setup 
which in two hours and 40 minutes is incredible. <laughs> like, right. I, I cannot understand how he's able to do that in two hours and 40 minutes and for me to think that was quick. Right. And I also thought that, I mean, some of the um, supporting performances were just knockout. Like, Christopher Plummer is so good. Robin Wright is so good. Um, I really have to give uh, some love to the soundtrack. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when this movie, like, when it went, when it started... And that song came on. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember the song. And then it, it came up as being like, you know, soundtrack by Trent Reznor or whatever. I was like, Trent Reznor and Atticus, Atticus Finch. No, nope, Atticus, Atticus Ross. Ross. Thank you. I say that every <laughs> single time I talk about Atticus Ross. I say Finch because I'm doomed uh, to this life. Anyway. You're an English major. It's fine. Exactly. That's that's the doom to this life that I'm referring to. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so I am a huge Trent Reznor fan. It comes with the territory. And... I had not listened to the soundtrack and everybody told me that the soundtrack was amazing. They all told me to listen to it even if I hadn't seen the movie and I, I resisted because I wanted to see the movie first. And holy shit, so good. Like a character unto itself. I I was floored. I, I, I am impressed with everything that Trent Reznor does because I fanboy over him. I want to cycle back really far in our conversation because there's a, a few things with regards to trigger warnings and things like that 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 we didn't quite get a chance to touch on. One was you have said in your conversation so far that like, I really wish people had told me about it Mm -hmm. and you even said directly to me. And I mean, it it came as a re revelation to me that you have actually asked me to give you warnings about this kind of thing, which, you know, I very much apologize for, but then you've also said like, it's my responsibility to, look for triggers and to know what i'm getting into well yeah because i don't i don't i mean i don't want to have to rely on anybody to to warn me about this stuff i i I would be really happy if in the future you did warn me about it but from now on i'm going to start checking the imdb parental guidance again like i used to right because i kind of in my movie re-awakening i was very i put a lot of uh trust into the recommendations i was getting um without realizing that if i'm not explicit about by the way we have to make sure that this trigger doesn't exist then that means that um this type of thing can happen right and so i need to take responsibility and go and look up those parental guidances again right because i like i was very disappointed in myself for for not doing that and i felt like there was maybe some a lot of people were like oh my god i'm so sorry (laughs) right but you like at and you've kind of expressed like i wish you had told me but it hasn't been like hostility and i was kind of curious about yeah. like that feeling that you know did you actually feel like people had let you down by not telling you about it or did you feel like no this is my responsibility and it would have been a nice courtesy if people had warned me oh i see what you're saying okay uh so i can speak to all of that directly um one one thing being that on the way over here my mom texted me to just to say hi and i said oh i'm going to record that podcast on girl with the dragon tattoo and we had talked about it last week because like i said she's read it and she's seen the swedish version and um and i said uh does the swedish version have rape in it and she said yeah I, it was really bad and i had to leave the room and i was like <laughs> what i said to her was you should have warned me you know you should have told your kid you're supposed to protect me <laughs> that's what i said to her she knew i was joking and you know and she said you know it was really bad and like that sucks but when i tweeted today this morning on my private account ad nauseum about how terrible this was for me, <laughs> which would you were privy to, uh, a, a lot of a lot of my friends on that private account um, reacted by saying things like, "Oh shit, I totally forgot, and I definitely should have told you," or "That's why I didn't vote for that one." 
or when I saw it was picked, I should have told you know what I mean? Like they yeah. were all like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. And and that's amazing to me because none of those people are people that I have deliberately gone out and been like, hey, uh, uh, this is this is not cool for me. I do not like to go into this blind. Can you tell me when this is mm. um, when this is coming up? So what that says to me is that all of those people, even though they forgot or, you know, it slipped their mind to, to do it because this is just in the Twitter sphere. Um, all of them kind of assumed that this might be something that, you know, would trigger me, regardless of the fact that I hadn't actually told them this. And I think maybe what you're getting at is trigger warnings in general and whose who's responsibility is right. that. Right, because, I mean, it's it's very much a... it's a hot topic? I don't even want to say hot topic because I think that there's a lot of... Well, I mean, just like any other hot topic, I think there's a lot of people regurgitating things they heard on am radio without giving it any critical thought for, for themselves sure. but yeah okay so i work in in a university right like i'm hopefully one day going to be a professor designing my own syllabuses and uh yes it's greek it's buses okay. and yeah. not by okay. <laughs> um and and that's that's been the the kind of hot topic is should we be putting um trigger warnings on our on our syllabus uh, and, you know, is this coddling the undergrads and all this bullshit, right? I don't agree with that at all. I don't think it's coddling anybody. And um, though while I was going through my undergrad, I never got a syllabus that had a trigger warning on it. Um, all of my professors at some point, you know, acknowledged that th there's going to be material on this course that is disturbing, right? Now, if you had gone to their office hours and said, could you please give me a list of the books that might contain rape? Um, the professors would have been more than happy to do that for you. Nobody would, no, no professor that I know, uh, would have said, no, you just got to figure it out for yourself when it happens and scream. You know what I mean? Like no, nobody wants you to have that, uh, reaction that you cannot handle because there's a difference between being, and this is kind of what you were saying about the, the scene. There's a difference between having to confront something and having to look because then you'll understand and being triggered. I I know what and the and the the person I was watching with was like we shouldn't watch the rest of this movie because we we stopped it there and he said we shouldn't watch the rest of this because the whole rest of the thing is about rape victims and you see pictures of them and you hear about what happens to them and I said that's not the problem I am not a shrinking violet I don't I'm not so scared of all of that that I can't deal with it because I can't acknowledge it or anything like that. That's no slight against someone who would be triggered to that extent. But for me, that's not what it is. It's not that I can't deal with this type of material. It's that when it is served up so raw like that, I would just like to know going in that I need to expect that. Because right. the trigger has nothing to do with my ability to understand that rape happens in the world. It has to do with the fact that it's a visual... Um, stimulus that I cannot stop and that stimulus sets off a chain reaction that I objectively know is irrational and can't do anything about and that's why trigger warnings are important trigger warnings aren't oh you know you might feel mildly uncomfortable when this character does this in this book trigger warnings are if you have a problem with rape this book has rape and then it's up to you to figure out am I going to be able to do this can I go and spoil it for myself? Can I read about what happens? Can I skip that part? You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of onus on the on the person who could be triggered or not. But that's the difference. We're not talking about 
la 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 fingers in the ears none of this ever happens right it's it's that i need to be able to brace myself personally this is all my own personal interpretation other people may be different right and i think that that's the big misinformation that Definitely. i'm hearing the most often mm -hmm. is people thinking that you know the entire institution of post-secondary education is now trigger warnings on everything and, right. you know, and so we're reading cat in the hat and right or that you know everybody gets to fill out like a permission slip to say like i'm excused from having to write about this book on the exam because yeah. you know it well, just like half the class empties out because everybody's triggered by everything and it's yeah it's unfortunate that you know it could even be like a global warming thing where if we just change the name to climate change once right. people have kind of gotten over it that, definitely that it becomes a, a different conversation that's actually about the thing instead 100%. of loud ignorance yeah so an example is that uh there's a book that i found um it, it was in a class that i did in my first year of my phd called the beetle that i had never heard of before and it's a 19th century novel and it's really fucked up and weird it's really cool uh i really love it and uh a, a major theme of that novel is a, a monster raping uh characters male and female and so when i recommended that book to a friend of mine who really likes uh weird 19th century gothic stuff he had never heard of it either and i was like oh fuck you'll fucking love this he loves dracula so you know I, he was seemed seemed right up his alley and then it occurred to me kind of like the day after i had recommended it i was like oh by the way like a major theme is rape and he was like oh okay thanks so much for letting me know and that's all it was. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't as if he was like, oh, well, then I can't deal with it. Um, and if he and, and if he did say that, it would be cool, too. And it wasn't as if I had to be like, here's exactly what happens. Because if he needed that, he would go and find it out, right? And so that's all I needed. And the, the worst part about this is that I knew from the fact that this was a huge global phenomenon when it came out, not just the movie, but the books as well, I knew that she was a victim of rape. I did not know that it happened in the movie. I thought that it happened prior to the movie. Right. And that's 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 where the problem came. <laughs> and if it had just been, you know, something that I could have worried about, you know, prepared for a bit, then it would have been fine. Right. Because I have been thinking about why I didn't tell you and why other people didn't tell you. Because it's not like it was this secret that i was like oh she's gonna open the present and it's no, gonna be amazing not. well it's kind of it reminds me of when uh, i told you that adam forgot that whole like the whole crazy 3d lizard sex part in holy motors and you and i were both like how could you forget that like right, <laughs> right because i i wasn't at no point was i consciously thinking about that scene until i until i saw that social worker guy when i was re-watching it and i was like holy yeah that happens but that connection didn't get made to you know try to be considerate and I think that you touched on it a little bit too, that it's because it was so much of the conversation about the movie in the first place. I think in, in whatever part of my brain that that decision got made or that lack of, you know, that lack of connection was there. It was just kind of like girl with the dragon tattoo has an aggressive sex scene. And it. it was just, that's, that's part of yeah. the thing. It was like, if you go to see 50 shades of gray, you know what to expect. And that's a terrible analogy for, or maybe a great analogy. <laughs> um, but it, yes. it, was, it, it was just part of it for me and it didn't right. it yeah you know, i just think it's fascinating that i didn't and so many it not even just me no a lot of people but that so many people male and female and yeah because i thought also part of it for me was like as somebody who respond i think that i responded the way that the movie intended for me to respond to it which was disgust and rage and 
an utter lack of sympathy for the person doing it because you know like you can empathize so much with people going through really terrible situations but like that is far beyond any line of of what of what you can forgive in yeah. a person and you know also setting up for the reversal of that and everything that happens to him and really exploring how dark you're willing to allow yourself to go in cheering somebody on in getting revenge and so i guess i just expected that every like that's the that's the reaction that everybody would have right yeah for me it was there's this movie that David Fincher made that has a rape scene in it. And there's right. not a responsibility that comes with that. It's yeah. just my responsibility is to watch it and, and respond to it. I should say, too, that when it comes to, for me personally, if someone had just said, oh, you're watching that movie. Oh, it's brutal. Then I would have been like, why is it brutal? And then right. they would have been, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they didn't have to say, oh, yes, I have to remember that Caroline specifically rape. I have to tell her, right? right. Like, if I had just had any sort of input from anybody who voted right. on that poll being like oh you're in for a tough one right like if if, yeah. if anybody had said anything uh then i would have been like oh maybe i should go check this out yeah. and then all of that would have been avoided i wonder and that, that's what really sucks t- for me about this movie is because literally if i had just been able to do that i would have had a completely different interpretation right i i don't want it to seem like i'm just entirely trying to get myself off the hook or whatever because i do feel like like <laughs> there was a failure of responsibility on my part for sure but part of part of our relationship as well is like save it for the podcast yes and also i'm constantly on here saying i hate watching trailers and i hate reading synopses right like this is that's that's (laughs) something that i'm you know it's i'm sending mixed signals when it comes to that right but it just i guess what what ended up happening is that i had watched high fidelity already i knew what it was uh blue ruin i had read i because i hadn't even heard of blue ruin so i read the letterboxd preview of it or whatever and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I just thought that I knew enough about it from latent pop culture right. when when it came out. And I knew that there was, uh, like I said, I knew that she was a victim. I did not know that it, it happened during the movie. And even if you had said to me, there's a rape scene, I never would have expected it to be like this. So even, I and, and I would have been able to brace and I would have been able to get through it and keep watching the movie and not take an hour long break in between. Yeah. Um, but yeah. How did you feel watching her revenge scene? So that's that's something that like in a week from now I'll maybe have a different opinion <laughs> okay. of it because I would like that I mean it happens almost immediately afterwards right like it's right. it's kind of the next it's like all everything that happened plot wise right after that where where it's just like those calm conversations I was rewatching some of it today to try and remember what the fuck um, but those like calm conversations about the actual like murder plot and everything all of that was just me like blank eyed staring at the screen things were happening and i was not registering it because of because of the the scene that had happened immediately prior so when it comes to her getting her revenge and this is something interesting too that um a couple people both said oh but she gets back at him right and like that doesn't wash oh no yeah totally not (laughs) like i was like yeah no it doesn't help i don't care (laughs) yeah I can understand where somebody's coming from saying that because there is this like really strong poetic justice yeah. and this person being punished really brutally. But well, because well, they're trying to tell me, you know, don't write the whole movie off because of that scene, right. right? And and that's something that I have never written a whole movie off because of one thing I don't like about it. And right. despite the fact that some people have tried to argue with me that that is not actually what I'm doing, I'm I'm always able to find things that uh, unless I completely hate it, unless it's some of my half star ratings on. Uh, letterbox but those just don't even count so i i totally i totally get that too i totally get why someone would try to get me motivated to keep watching the movie by saying that the point i was trying to make earlier about 
nothing justifies a rape scene in my mind when when the whole point is tr- to try and show but she becomes this hero you know what i mean right. like she gets she gets she gets back at him etc i'm i'm not i'm not satisfied with that especially i'm not satisfied with the idea that when she's torturing him it's bad <laughs> like it's 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 hard hard to watch if you're not cheering it on as well you know what i mean like it's um it's it's violent and it's di- disturbing i still do not think it's nearly as violent or disturbing as what happens to her especially because i was 100 percent worried the whole time that he was going to get free and do something even worse to her you know if she had, if she had shown up with like an army of people then i would have felt better about it but there was no guarantee to me that this wasn't going to end even worse for her because she's tried to stand up for herself right I, w- I did not feel any sort of sense of security while she was getting back at him. Mm-hmm. And even like that part in the in the elevator later where he's scared of her. And what you're saying about him with that like robe part makes that makes that part in the elevator a little more make a little more sense to me. But I was really worried about that part in the elevator, too, because I thought this guy's got 300 pounds on you, dude. Like, I don't care how crafty and intimidating you are <laughs> like right you know? and, well and that's where you asked me earlier like why do i think she's cool and it was because she does such you know part of it is because she does such an incredible you know you've said that you know rape isn't about sex it's about power she does such an amazing job of claiming that power to the point that he's scared of her even though he has like this this physical dominance and even in an enclosed space it doesn't seem like it even occurs which is him. interesting because later on um, one of the sisters says, I wasn't able to ever fight him off in an enclosed space, but outside I was whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and like you said, this is the most enclosed space that you could possibly get is an elevator. Yeah, and she's able to command so much power over him because he's also like, he's done the worst thing to her that he's probably ever done to a person. And she, Yeah, because he's not Martin, right? Like yeah, he's, and it, you know, she came back from the dead and did that to him and worse. So like he has fear of her yeah. power. And And I'm not saying that that doesn't make her cool, I am saying yeah. that it's still, I'm still, I'm, I am saying that that still fits kind of like that trope that I'm not satisfied with. Right. And hearing you say that, I was also thinking about like, okay, well, let's look at the other female characters in the movie and you're not left with too, too much. You have Mikhail's daughter, who's the only thing we really know about her is that she's Christian to his disappointment, but she fills in a gap that allows him to move forward with the mystery. Right. You've got Harriet slash anita who does everything she does to escape the perpetual incestuous rape that she's a victim of and then you've got uh, robin wright's character right who actually has some image like she's a partner with mikhail so there's you know but she has agency in and of herself but she doesn't do a whole heck of a lot she's just kind of there to be a sexual partner and to kind of run the business while he's away yeah and i wonder if maybe in the book she had a, a much bigger role that isn't you know it just didn't have time here yeah, it's a thick book <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I mean okay so talking about those other the other girls the, that's why i said that the movie's not called nancy drew and the clue crew solve the 40 mi- the mystery of and the mystery of the 40 year old murder right because i think it is really cool that you know the people who bust this 40-year-old murder case open are three teenage or young adult girls, right? His daughter, unknowingly, I mean, he, she's not motivated by trying to help him with this murder, um, but recognizes that because she's got a skill that she's learned. She's, she recognizes those numbers as being uh, Bible verses, and that helps them, you know, hugely. Nobody in these 40 years, none of the 
I assume men working in these police forces have ever been able to crack that. So that's pretty cool. And then Harriet is the one who initially starts this investigation, right? So yeah, she, it's the diary they're reading in the first place. Yeah, so she takes it. She takes this on her own shoulders and does something, does more to it, does more for it than any of the, you know, investigators. Which also, okay, so I, I actually think, like, those characters, as, as uh, you know, single-serving as they are, are at least neat because they aren't stupid. Um, right. <laughs> the, uh, the comparison that I'm going to make really quickly is Eastern Promises. The woman in that movie is the dumbest woman ever, and I cannot <laughs> believe that Naomi Watts was okay with reading these lines. Like, oh my god, so awful. So neither of these characters are like that. N- none of the women in the in the movie are like that, so that's good. But uh, as you pointed out, they're still one-dimensional. They're still, you know, they serve a plot point and they, they carry on. So I can't even give them too much give it too much credit for that um other than the fact that i think it is saying something cool about how um narrow-minded and singular all of the men must be right you know that none of them none of them figure this out and actually that brings me to mikhail what what did you think of his character like what what do you think about this man i think that i wanted i wanted to like and respect what he was doing um he's he's set up to be kind of a this very well respected and this is just kind of this one black mark that maybe wasn't his fault he kind of had a lapse in judgment but i was laughing at him every time i saw him investigating anything like we joked around about how there's this one montage of him doing research and it's literally him highlighting every page or every line every of one line. every line of one page of a book that's the opposite of what a highlighter does and i was like what are you doing like and even I was upset with with David Fincher. For so like, was I. I was like, Except, why are you making this scene dramatic? Is it supposed to make him look incompetent? Because my understanding, my 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 opinion of this guy at the by the end of the movie is that he's a complete incompetent dork. Like I do not admire this character at all. And I don't know if I'm being overly harsh. I don't know if I just really don't like Daniel Craig, who I thought was boring and not interesting whatsoever. I don't know if that was supposed to be the character, boring and not interesting. But yeah, total incompetence the whole way through. Can't even use a highlighter. (laughs) There's one part where uh, Lisbeth compliments him and says, I really like the work you did with the pictures at the parade. And I must have missed something because I was like, you mean scanning them? (laughs) Because yeah, like... I don't understand. It takes a while before they get anything from those pictures. Like they, she has to point out that somebody she's else has one. a camera. Yeah, she she's the one that does the work there, and that's and that's another thing that pisses me off about this relationship is I have no idea what she sees in this guy other than he's like attractive, but like she's fawning over him in the in. I mean, it's like if she can possibly express any sort of emotion that isn't complete disdain at any given point, but she's fawning over him and he does not deserve it, and I don't understand why. I don't, I don't, I don't get the, 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 unless, unless, and I mean, I have enough trust in Fincher that, you know, we saw that highlighter so many times that he must've been like, look how dumb this guy is. I really hope that that's what he was doing because I only got dumbness out of this. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty unimpressed with his actual skills, but I still somehow believed that we were supposed to believe that he was competent because when him and Lisbeth finally meet and get together, it does feel kind of like a, a, like this now the team is together and they're going to get something done but, but the, the only reason he gets anything done is because his daughter has shown him what 
to do, right? Like, the, yeah. right? Up until then, it was complete. I'll just highlight every single line. He's really good at collage, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, I'm going to, you know, put it all up on the wall and put some strings and it looks like I'm very busy. And, I, I mean, I, that could be David Fincher making, or I, I keep saying David Fincher and I don't know how much I should attribute to him or the, the uh, writer of the source material, but that could be the movie making a commentary on how mediocre you can be as a white dude and still get you know to a really great position in uh in you know your career and to still get these really great opportunities and to have people trust you and hire you for important things when as far as we can tell you're an ass and and the women in in the movie if they get a chance at all seem to have to work a hell of a lot harder and the only one who is as you said obviously really talented at what she does never even really gets to kind of own that and right. it, the the newscast is all about is all about how Mikhail is you know is he is he is he an idiot for taking on this case again like it's his name that's going to be on that article yeah. and it's yeah and even like at the beginning when those like her employer and that other guy are you know talking about the investigation that she did which is you know in a really stupid way praising her uh for all the amazing stuff that she was able to figure out because she's such a talented hacker it's not in any way that's you know kind or actually giving her any sort of sense of happiness in her work she she gets happiness at at no point in this movie is what i mean like none of the avenues of her life give her any sort of satisfaction anyway i'm glad that you feel the same way about mikhail more or less mikhail no yeah he's a he's silly and i I think he's silly for the sake of I think he's silly for Elizabeth's sake to show her to be even stronger. Like when the cat gets mutilated and left on their porch, he's freaking out emotionally and she's cool and collected yeah, and but it's goes his and cat. gets the camera. Right. But I mean, like if and- I saw a mutilated cat, I would be doing what Mikhail is doing. I would not be going to take pictures of it or when right. he gets shot in the head. I mean, granted, this is stuff happening to him, but she's calm and she takes care of it and she sews him back together and everything he's like oh but it hurts so much (laughs) like the way he plays that is okay but i think that that is also because i mean another thing that makes me really uncomfortable about this character is that uh there i mean she's clearly not um she's clearly on the spectrum and i am not capable of talking to that because i don't i don't have the expertise but there's there's something mentally and um socially uh different about Elizabeth, right? And so for her to react that way to that cat, to me falls into that. For her to react to always be as you put it calm and cool and collected is um less about her uh showing strength and more about her being these are coping mechanisms that I have had to accrue during my lifetime because of all the terrible things that have happened yeah. to me, which have in turn, and as I said, I, I have no expertise in this field, but which have in turn probably uh, made it so that I have a social uh, disorder and a, um, possibly a mental disorder. Right. And I know that the movie at the end, when he asks, how can you be 23 in a ward of the, the state? And uh, she, she explains, I know that there's probably an implication and I think in the book there definitely is an implication because I think I read about this, but there's an implication that, you know, her being institutionalized at such a young age in this terrible system has only worsened her condition mm-hmm. and only and only made it more manifest. But I do think that 
it would be false to say that this is exhibiting strength. I think that this is exhibiting um, these very uh, shallow characteristics that we get of Lisbeth that only serve to remind us of the fact that she's a victim. Okay, well, I know that this isn't really the kind of conventional review that we would normally do, breaking down uh, you know, a little bit of a bunch of stuff, but we've been going for quite a while here, and honestly, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit sleepy. So um, I think that... I think that we should probably wrap it up. So, uh, you know, if if people do want to engage us about some of the some of the other things that happen in the movie, the mystery, the murders, the different actors, the different characters, absolutely more than interested in in talking more about this movie. Just uh, just maybe not particularly in this platform. It's just because of the nature of your own experience, and I, I appreciate you sharing so candidly, uh, kind of what it was like. I, I think that we were able to touch on some. You know some bigger topics that you know no other movie would have presented quite the uh, quite the opportunity to so um so I, I appreciate that caroline and uh yeah so i mean if there if there is anything else anybody wants to talk about feel free feel free to engage us on uh, social media uh caroline uh, you're on twitter yes i'm on twitter at at dizen at d-i-e-z-y-n and i'm on there at dylan clark moore but yeah, I, I guess we should wrap it up the way that we that we normally do. I want us each to assign this movie a rating: uh, one, two, three, four, or five stars. One star being that you hated it, two stars being you didn't really like it, three stars liked it, four stars really liked it, five stars loved it, as well an MVP for the movie. So your your most valuable person from uh, from the project. So Caroline, you first. Um, okay, so I originally thought that this would be a four. And maybe on my second viewing, it would be four. And I know it doesn't seem like it should be based on the reaction that I had, <laughs> but I, I uh, uh, holistically looking at this movie, I there's a lot I liked about it. Um, I'm I'm kind of a little hesitant to actually give it a four now. I I would say that I would probably bump it down to a three, and that I would need to see it again and uh, you know look at it look at it more on um, its own terms rather than what happened to me, um, which is kind of exactly what Elizabeth's character is going through, right? Uh, rather her own terms but what's happening to her my mvp um uh i mean the house no i'm just kidding the the soundtrack was fantastic and i already made a joke about it being a character uh oh, so that was, that was something that i want to talk about with the the soundtrack so i guess i will add something else um the it's not often that i actually notice soundtracks i think i've spoken to that before but where i did was the way that uh, lisbeth's rage and her strong emotions get played in music because when when either things are happening to her, like when she's being assaulted or when she's uh, even when she's getting mugged or when the, when the guy steals her laptop, um, how the music comes in and all the sound, like all the other sounds kind of dip away. And it's this really uh, cacophony. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, like this really distorted sound. And it's like it's like you're hearing what's going on inside of her head and that that one scene it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where she is getting where she's getting her laptop stolen and she attacks the guy and at that point you're like yeah stand up for yourself but then when she pins him down and she grabs him by the jacket or whatever it is and then just screams in his face with this this animalistic rage where she's just like she's so frustrated of all these things always happening to her and it's just almost like she's trying to drown out the 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 psychological noise inside of her head and it's just so enhanced by that incredible sound that that yeah. was put in there yeah trent Reznor was definitely the right person to go with on this project yeah um i'm i'm really happy uh 
that I got to see it finally because of that. Um, but yeah, my MVP uh, actually was solidified earlier today when uh, I, I remembered that Rooney Mara is in her and uh, she plays the, the ex-wife and that I, I was like, holy shit, that's the same person. And it did not occur to me at all while I was watching this movie that I had seen her in something else. Um, and yeah, I was floored. And so Bruni Mara is obviously my, my MVP. I think it would be, I mean, Daniel Craig, Jesus, he could have been like, they could have got a guy <laughs> off the street and it would have been the same for me. But actually, like, n like even, even though I'm saying that he brought nothing to the role that made it stand out, I think it, it's the role, it's the nature of the character that wasn't standout-ish. Mm -hmm. And he needed to fade into the, into the, into the background with incompetence, um, as I'm interpreting them anyway. <laughs> I might just have unfair hatred towards this character. Well, I mean, but... the, so here are the options as far as I see it with, regarding to, with regards to highlighter scene. Right. Is one, Mikhail Blomqvist is an idiot. Yeah. Two, David Fincher's an idiot. Right. That thought that we wouldn't notice. <laughs> or three, there's just so much information to go through that everything seems crucial and he hasn't figured out how to pare that down yet. Right. Okay, so um, with regards to three, by the second paragraph, you'd be like, I can stop using the highlighter because all of it's important. <laughs> Just put a check mark at the exactly. top of the Exactly, yeah. That's how anybody who is, and he's a researcher, like that's like, he's a journalist, right? Like he's done this before. This isn't his first time using a fucking highlighter. <laughs> um, <laughs> with regards to your second point, uh, because I'm in love with David Fincher, I will defend that. No, there's, as I said earlier, there's nothing that happening on the screen that we are not meant to notice and see and believe. Um, so that brings us to number one. <laughs> he is an idiot. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, so now you go. Yeah, for my rating, um, I think I'm going to do four because it, it's it's an incredibly competently made movie that yeah, that maybe. i had a very strong reaction to and i was certainly despite having seen it before i was i was really satisfied with the kind of the, the flow of the narrative and and it's i mean for somebody who you know we've already covered that my reactions have been more in line with responding to the narrative rather than evoking anything particularly traumatic out of me it, it did its job really effectively um it didn't it didn't quite hit that level of seeming life-changing to me yeah uh, so like it, it can't quite get that fifth star but i certainly was glad to have watched it again yeah i'm as very, glad as you can be yeah i'm i'm very on the fence about my my three four like i'm i'm three leaning up to four and and i you know the the hesitance only comes from everything that we sure. le leaned on in this conversation yeah yeah as for my mvp i mean rooney mara just rooney mara and who, who else are you gonna pick for <laughs> disappearing entirely into this character and it was funny because as i was watching her like the movie her to talk about with you when she showed up in that movie i was like oh yeah rooney mara she's a thing i can't wait for her to have like a big breakout role <laughs> and then i saw this and i was like D idiot right. <laughs> idiot plus you know carol has been huge for her this year and and i think that that really speaks to how great she is yeah, because she's a chameleon every time she has this great role it's like oh man like she's gonna be the next big thing but <laughs> she has been for she she is the thing she's one of the, the you know big... why you don't remember it it's because her name is backwards it doesn't make any sense it should be mara rooney <laughs> well i think that that's gonna it's gonna wrap it up as we've already mentioned you can find us on various social media platforms you're on uh we've talked about the twitter so uh, 
Tell you what, if you like what you heard today, how about you head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content. Uh, we've got show notes, articles, and reviews on there. Um, we've talked about our Twitter. We're also on Facebook as Netflix. We have the official Netflix. Twitter is on there as well, at NetflixPod. Uh, we also have a Tumblr and a SoundCloud account at Netflix Podcast. And uh, Caroline and I both have letterboxed accounts, as we've made reference to before. So, Caroline, yours is... D-I-E-Z-Y-N, letterboxd.com slash D-I-E-Z-Y-N. And mine is Dylan Clark Moore. Uh, the special feature on there for Netflix listeners is uh, we have a list of all the episodes that we've done in the past, but even more excitingly, uh, a preview of all of the movies that are going to be discussed in upcoming podcasts. So, yeah, that's the only place that we put our upcoming uh, list. Absolutely. Uh, if you have any interest in supporting the show, there are actually a few ways that you can do so. Uh, one way is by heading over to iTunes or whichever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing, because that way every episode actually comes straight to you. And while you're there, if you drop a rating or a review, you can let us know what you think. And it also does help get more eyes on the show. Just uh, the more high ratings that we get, wink, wink. Or ears on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> it just the, the easier it is for other people to find us because we're closer to the tops of lists. Uh, you can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Uh, we've got different rewards that we're looking at uh, revamping to make even more exciting and, and have a little bit more interaction with the listeners out there. So keep an eye on that or just, you know, throw some money at us right now. Uh, the Netflix podcast, as always, is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. And speaking of music, the piece that you're listening to right now is as it has been for the last few weeks off of an album called Odiamo from an artist called Chinoski and he just makes cool music and I really appreciate everything that uh, that Nick is doing so uh, thank you for Person Disguises People and uh, Ian over there for giving us permission to use it if you want to know more details about this song or any of the other tracks that are on the album uh, just check out the bottom of the uh, of this episode's show notes and there are going to be links right there Thank you so much, as always, for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. Mm-hmm.